I remember my first time ever getting to teach a group of kids. There was about 120 kindergartners, all laid out, sitting, waiting to hear God's word. And I stood up and taught this truth. God knows what's in your heart. God knows what's in your heart. If it's good, if it's bad, if it's sad, if it's scary, God knows what's in your heart. Man looks at the outside. God looks at the inside. God knows what's in your heart no matter what. And guys, these kids, 125-year-olds, they listened. They sat there engaged, focused in. I felt like I knocked it out of the park. I stepped out. I stepped off of that stage. I felt my bat hit the ball. And I was like, yes, there's going to be a kindergarten revival. (laughs) Woo! Okay. But God humbled me pretty fast. A little girl comes up and says, hey, Mr. Josh. I said, yeah. She says, I've got a question. I said, okay, great. I bet you and your whole household want to get saved. Let's talk. And she says, so God, he's, he's really big, right? Yeah, God is really big. God is huge. God is mighty. God is strong. God is mighty to save. He's so big. She says, okay, okay. Um, And I'm really small, right? Yeah, people compared to God are really small. And I mean, even as far as people goes, you've only been around five years. You're still pretty new here. So uh, yeah, you're pretty small. She goes, okay, okay, so... If God's so big and I'm so small, how is it so that God's nose is in my heart? (laughs) I sat there and taught for 15 minutes, guys, and this girl sat there thinking I taught God's nose, his nose is in your heart. (laughs) And here's what I love. This little girl didn't come up and say, hey, Mr. Josh, no way. Nah, God's really big. I'm really small. There's no feasible way that God's nose is in my heart. No, this girl sat there for 15 minutes in awe that God's word said that God's nose is in her heart. And then she came to me wanting to know the mechanics. How does this work? She sat there in awe and wonder at which she thought God's words, and I'm so glad that she clarified that. She would have grown up with some really messed up theology. (laughs) So, This is what I love about kids' ministry, that kids, when they hear God's word taught, kids stand in awe at what they hear. They don't question it. They stand in awe at what they hear. And this is what we've done for four weeks now. This is week four in a series called Awe. We've learned how can we stand in awe of King Jesus, and then what should we do with that awe? We've talked about that for now four weeks. This is week four. We have one more left. And here's what I want us to do this morning. I want you to leave here with a little more awe on King Jesus than when you walked in here. I want you to leave here with more awe. I want that to bleed into your week, and I want that to lead you to a place of praise and thanksgiving. That's what I pray for you. That's what I pray for your household this week. Hey, if we've not met yet, my name is Josh Zello. 
I'm the preschool pastor here at 1910. That means that I get to shepherd the cutest church members. <laughs> From age zero, like the day that they're born, to when they turn five and start kindergarten, and we kick them out and send them to Pastor Todd Weir. Um, I get to shepherd those kids with my team and love on those families. And I have a rock star team right back there right now. Some of you might think that we're just having childcare. And yes, we care for child. But it's much more than that, guys. We give those kids church. Right now, those kids are engaged in purposeful play. They're in small groups. They're in large groups. They're having worship time. There is a Bible teaching time, kind of like this, except there's more props, sometimes puppets. Those kids right now are getting church. And one of our values, one of our missions, we want those kids to leave in awe of King Jesus. We want those kids to walk out of these doors in awe at the God of the Bible. That's what I want for those kids every single week. And that's right now what our leaders are instilling in those kids' hearts right now. I've been married to my best friend, Hannah, for four years now. Um, we have a one-year-old daughter named Avery Piper. In fact, she just turned one on Wednesday of last week, right? So she's pretty much grown now. It's amazing. <laughs> Yesterday, we had her birthday party. There was a cake smash. In fact, it was more of a cake poke. She was shy. Um, but what I love about being a dad and what I've seen this first year is she is in awe of so many things. Everything is brand new to her. I remember several months back, I went and picked her up and said, Avery, I'm going to go introduce you to trees. <laughs> and we went outside and we met trees. Every single tree I could find, the big ones, the small ones, the soft ones, the hard ones, she pet them, she licked them. It was great. We met so many trees. I remember one of her first weeks, a big thunderstorm hit, and I love thunderstorms. And I thought, you know what? If I teach her right now that storms are cool and not scary, she'll live like that. And that's actually worked. So I sat down on our back porch, and I held her close, and I told her about thunderstorms. And she sat there staring up at me in awe and wonder. It's been so much fun. Last week, she, um, she was introduced to Spanish rice. Um, that was a really awesome moment. She was just awestruck. So we have this glorious video of her with a tortilla sticking out of her mouth trying to dump a giant bowl of rice on her head. Let's go ahead and play that. There she goes. Dump it over your head. I know that you like it. Look. Look at that look of awe. This little girl is in such awe of every single thing, big and small. And guys, every day we live in awe too. Every day we feel awe because awe is simply this. Awe is what makes your heart sing for joy. For some of us, that's our families. Our families bring us so much joy when we see our children, especially when they're sleeping. Our hearts are filled with joy when we come home to our spouse. Our hearts are filled with joy when we sit down for meals with our families. Our hearts sing. 
We feel awe, and that is rightful awe. That's a good thing. We feel awe over small things like food, Spanish rice. We feel awe over our jobs and our cars and our homes and our hobbies. People feel awe over sports. That's why they scream really loud and spend money on it and watch it because they, because they feel a sense of awe and wonder. When they're engaged with sports, their hearts sing with joy. And that's not a bad thing. God's word says that every good and perfect thing is a gift from God. God wants us to enjoy those things. Those are gifts from God. And like a good father, God wants us to enjoy those gifts. But it can't stop there. Our ultimate awe cannot be in the things of this world. Our, our awe needs to not stop at the creation, but we need to allow that awe to lead us to the creator. So that's what we're going to sit on this morning is this. Awe in the person and work of Jesus leads to praise and thanksgiving. When we're in awe of who Jesus is and what he has done, naturally that's going to lead us to praise and thanksgiving. If you have a Bible this morning, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 17. If you have a Bible app, that works too. Or you can turn to the 1910 app, or it's just going to be up here. As you turn there, here's what we'll see there. I'll give you a short little preview. On the work of Jesus without the person of Jesus leads to exclusion of Jesus. Let me say that one more time and break that down. When we're in awe at what Jesus has done, when we're in awe at his gifts, but we're not in awe of who he is, we're going to exclude him which is really sad. That's like if Avery looked at me and said, Dad, I don't need you anymore. I have rice. <laughs> or less silly, that's like if a dad who loves his son so much buys his son a brand new car. And that son gets in this car and says, Dad, thanks, goodbye, I don't need you. And he drives off never to see his dad again. Guys, his dad loved him so much, his dad got him that car to draw him closer to himself. And instead, what that son did was he took that gift and said, I want the gift, but I don't want you. I want your work, but I don't want you. And that breaks the father's heart. When we're in awe at what Jesus has done, but we don't allow that to lead us to being in awe at who Jesus is, we're going to exclude him. And we see that in Luke chapter 17. On the way to, to Jer, Jer, Jerusalem, he was passing along between Samaria and Galilee, verse 12. As he entered a village, he was met by 10 lepers who stood at a distance and lifted up their, their voices saying, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. When he saw them, he said to them, go and show yourselves to the priest. In the Old Testament, lepers are said by God to be ceremonially unclean. Therefore, lepers lived in shame, isolation, and misery. When they walked in the town squares, lepers shouted out, unclean, unclean, because if you got near them, if you touched them, if you engaged with them, you too could become unclean. And here's what that meant. That meant that if you had leprosy, because God is so holy, 
God is so set apart. God is so great. If you have leprosy, you can't fellowship with him or his people. So these lepers were used to being ostracized. They were used to being separate and they would spend time with other lepers because those lepers are already unclean. These lepers stood far back and as Jesus walked into town, they didn't waste any time. Notice this says, the moment Jesus walked into that village, these men shouted out, have mercy on us, Jesus. Another reason these lepers lived in shame was because a whole lot of God's people, the Jews, wrongly believed that every time anybody had leprosy, it was God's judgment on them for their, for their, uh, for their, for their personal sin. But God's word never says that. There are some in God's word who get leprosy as punishment for their personal sin. Oftentimes, though, like in this story, these men have leprosy so that God will be glorified, not because of their personal individual sin. In the same way, when we see sickness here on earth right now, it's not always because that person is in personal individual sin. Sometimes people are sick so that God can be glorified. We see this in the healing of the blind man. Jesus' friends asked, why was this man born blind? Was it, was it because of his own sin or is it because his mom and dad sinned? Jesus said, neither. He was born blind so that I can be glorified. And that's good news because when God's glorified, people are saved. And in this moment, that's what we're about to see is these lepers are about to be healed. Jesus is going to do a miraculous work with these 10 men. They shouted out in a loud voice. That phrase, loud voice, is where we get the word megaphone. They shouted out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said, go and show yourselves to the priest. In Leviticus 14, in God's law, God outlines, hey, when lepers are healed, they go and show themselves to the priest. The priest fact-checked that, make sure they're really and truly healed. And then the priest declares them healed, declares them cleansed. And now they're cleansed and clean, and now they can be back and mingle with society. Jesus, going straight from them saying, Jesus, heal us, goes right to go and show yourselves to the priest. Notice what he didn't do yet. Jesus didn't heal them yet. Jesus wants them to take a step without being healed yet. I love this. Jesus gives them an opportunity for their faith to be part of their healing journey, sending them to the priest to be declared cleansed. These men could have said, Jesus, that's not how this works. Jesus, this is silly. I can't go to the priest yet. I'm still covered in sores. I'm still missing limbs. I still have this horrible skin sickness. I can't go to the priest yet. You go to the priest when you're cleansed. You haven't cleansed me yet, Jesus. Or these men could have said, okay, I hear you, but Jesus, I want you to heal me how I want to be healed, when I want to be healed right now. They could have tried to dictate, Jesus, touch me. Jesus, talk to me. Jesus, speak over me. Jesus, heal me the way that I want to be healed, when I want to be healed. The Puritan Matthew Henry writes this on this very 
this very scripture. Those that expect Christ's favors must take them in his way and his method. So when we ask Jesus for healing, we can't dictate when and how that happens. Jesus wants you to go to him. Jesus wants you to talk to him. Jesus wants you to ask him for the hard things. But Jesus is going to act in his will for his glory, and that's for your good. And these men are are about to find that out as they take a step of faith, as they go and walk towards the priest without yet being healed. Here's what happens next. Verse 14. And as they went, they were cleansed. I love that. Lots of time in God's word, we read one sentence that says so much, one sentence that incredible things happen, and then the writer just quickly moves on. As they went, they were healed. As these men walked, as they did what King Jesus says, as they took a step of faith going towards the priest to be cleansed, they were healed. They would have seen it in one another. They were used to seeing each other in a horrible sickness. They were used to peeling skin. They were used to limbs falling off. They were used to horrible sores. And they would have seen in front of their very eyes the sores on their friends disappearing, fading away, being healed. They would have seen limbs growing back. They would have seen their friends being made whole. As they looked down at their hands, as they looked down at their arms and their legs and their feet, they would have seen sores on their own body, wounds they were used to carrying around with them every day of their whole lives. From when they got that sickness to right now, they would have seen those things just disappear. They would have seen themselves being cleansed. I promise you, every single one of these 10 men were in awe of Jesus' work in this moment. I think lots of times we read this and say, well, since they all didn't show gratefulness, obviously they weren't in awe of what Jesus did. Guys, these were lepers, ostracized, set apart, couldn't even fellowship with God's people, and now they're healed. Jesus healed them. Of course they were in awe of what Jesus did, but not all of them allowed that awe to lead them to being in awe of who Jesus was. One of them, one of them turns back, seeing he was healed, praising God with a loud voice. Nine of them say, I'm going to take this gift, I'm going to take Jesus' work, and I'm going to move on. I'm going to exclude Jesus now that I have his gift, and I'm going to go and enjoy life with his gifts. Nine of them did that. They were in awe of his work, but they weren't in awe of who he was. But one of these men said, I'm going to let Jesus' work, I'm going to let Jesus' healing of me lead me to not just being in awe at his work, but being in awe at his person. And when he was in awe of not just Jesus' work, but Jesus' person, where did that lead him? To praise and thanksgiving. This man turned around. And he said, I have to go back to the author of my salvation. I have to go back to the one that healed me. He ran back and he fell on his knees and he praised Jesus. This is the one time in the New Testament that the Greek word for thank you is directed at King Jesus and not Father God. He falls down, praises God with a loud voice, praises Jesus and thanks him. 
kneeling in awe, falling on his face, praising Jesus for not just what he had done, but who he was. How many times do we get gifts from God and we go enjoy those gifts and we cut out Jesus? How many times have I prayed and when Jesus followed through and gave me what I prayed for, how many times have I just moved on in bliss? That's what these men did. Don't allow the gifts in your life to lead you to excluding Jesus. Don't take the gifts and block out the gift giver. That's unbelievably sad. The Father gives you gifts, small gifts, every good and perfect thing. So coffee, food, football, friends, really, all of those things are gifts from God. Enjoy those things. Really big things. You are salvation from Jesus Christ. But don't let those things stop you from being an odd who he is. Instead, allow those things to lead you to being in awe of who he is. See the good things and say, wow, if this coffee is this good, how much greater is the gift giver? If time with my family is this good, oh my goodness, how much God must love me to give me this joy. Don't block out the gift giver just because you have gifts. But on the flip side of that, wait, wait, wait. I don't want to leave out this. Verse 17, Jesus said, we're not 10 cleansed. Where are the nine? Was no one found to return to give praise to God except this foreigner? And he said, rise and go your way. Your faith has made you well. See, Jesus speaks as one here who doesn't just want to heal physically, but he wants to heal spiritually. Some commentators write, Jesus was probably disappointed only one man came back because Jesus was like, I was really hoping I was going to get to heal 10 spiritually. But one man comes back, falls on his knees. Jesus looks down at him and sees, okay, so you're in awe at what I've done and, and you're in awe of who I am. Therefore, that's evidence that you've been made well. Your faith has saved you. Your faith has made you well. In this moment, this man wasn't just healed physically. In this moment, this man was healed spiritually. In this moment, this man was brought from death to life. In this moment, this man joined God's family under King Jesus. We're going to get to meet him someday. How cool is that? Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Your faith in what? The person and work of Jesus. Evidenced by his praise and thanksgiving. Now on the flip side, just like some of us might stand in awe of what Jesus has done, but not in who he is, like those nine lepers, some of us might find that we stand in awe of who, of who, who Jesus is, but not what he has done. And here's where that leads us. The awe in the um, person of Jesus without the work of Jesus leads to a works-based relationship with Jesus. If you just stand in awe at his holiness, if you just stand in awe at his splendor, if you just stand in awe at his majesty, 
but you don't stand in awe of what Jesus did when he lived and loved and died and rose to bring you to himself, you're going to find yourself crushed. There once was a law student who was on his way back from having dinner with his mom and dad. It was a short trip, so he just walked. And as he walked, suddenly a giant storm hit. There was rain. There was wind. There was thunder. There was lightning. Suddenly, he wasn't so sure he was going to get home. His heart raced. His legs shook. He wasn't sure what was going to happen next. And here's what happened next. A 50,000-degree lightning bolt struck right next to him. So much so, he could feel the heat. I bet the hairs on his arm were singed. I bet he was filled in that moment with an unholy fear. And he shouted out these words as a good Catholic boy. Saint Anne, save me. And if you save me, I'll become a monk. Well, he was saved. He got home. So much to his father's dismay, he dropped out of law school and Martin Luther became a monk. And the first few years of his monkhood, is that a word? Can we use that? Yeah? Okay. In the first few years of his monkhood, Martin Luther tried to work for his salvation. Martin Luther, every single day, stood in awe who Jesus was. You know Martin Luther knew Jesus was holy. You know Martin Luther knew Jesus stood in splendor and majesty and glory. But Martin Luther didn't stand in awe what Jesus had done, just in who Jesus was. He writes this, I was a good monk. And I kept the rule of my order so strictly that I, might say, that I might say, if a monk ever got to heaven by his monkery, it was I. We should start to use that term monkery. Find a way this week. Let me know. All my brothers in the monastery who knew me will bear me out. If I had kept on any longer, Luther writes this, I should have killed myself with vigils and prayers and reading, and other work. Martin Luther was slowly dying because he was trying to work for his salvation. He stood in awe who Jesus was, but not what he had done, and he found himself stuck in a works-based gospel. Work says to Jesus, I see your holiness, your majesty, your glory, and I need to ascend to who you are. And guys, that is a ladder you will die trying to climb. Jesus is so good. Jesus is so holy. Jesus is so set apart. You can't just work hard enough to get to him. You can't just be good enough for Jesus. You can't just do good works enough and get there. You can't just stand in awe at his glory and his majesty and think, I'm going to work hard to ascend to that. That works. Instead, the gospel says this. Jesus sees your brokenness, your inability, and your need, and he descended to bring you to himself. One day, Martin Luther was reading Paul's letter to Rome. We call that Romans. And as he read Romans, Jesus taught Martin Luther the gospel. Martin Luther saw, I can't ascend to God. Martin Luther saw, he came down to me. Martin Luther saw Jesus lived perfectly. 
loved everybody always, died the death that I should have died and rose again. Martin Luther saw the gospel and it transformed him. Martin Luther didn't just stand in awe at what Jesus, at who Jesus was, but now he stood in awe at what Jesus had done and it changed the church forever. Stand in awe at Jesus, at his work and his person. I think throughout God's word, we see two men that stand in awe at who Jesus is, but not in what he has done. Lots of times we call those men Pharisees. Paul was there. Paul loved God and served God. He was an odd God, but he didn't see the work of Jesus yet. And once he saw the work of Jesus, his life was transformed and the church was transformed too. Stand in awe at his work and his person. And where will that lead us? See, awe in the, in the person and work of Jesus leads to praise and thanksgiving. We see this culminate in Revelation chapter 7. Go ahead and turn there with me. I'm going to start in verse 9. Um, this is a glorious scene when John sees the very end, when John sees the church standing in awe at Jesus' work and Jesus' person. After this, John writes, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb, Jesus. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In this beautiful moment, John witnesses the whole church. Everybody who has, a, who has ever loved and served Jesus, everybody who is sealed by the Holy Spirit from every nation, from every tribe, from every people group, speaking every language, singing out praise to King Jesus. United in Christ, united in praise and thanksgiving. When we stand in awe at Jesus' work, little works like blessings, Thanksgiving dinner, your family, big things like salvation, the world God made, and when we allow that awe to lead us to being in awe at Jesus' person, at his goodness, at his greatness, at his majesty, at his glory, at his splendor, here's what we'll find. We'll find that naturally leads to a place of praise and thanksgiving. That's the fruit of it. You're not going to have to squeeze that out. That is the fruit a rightful awe in King Jesus' person and work. The fruit is praise and thanksgiving. Thanksgiving. We have a special day this week named Thanksgiving. 
I want you this week to not just mouth it. I don't want you to just be thankful with your mouth. I want you to be thankful with your heart this week. I want you to spend time in awe of King Jesus and awe at what he has done and awe of who he is and let that awe take you to a new place where you give him praise, where you give him thanksgiving. Let praise and thanksgiving flow from you as the fruit of your rightful awe in King Jesus. Be like the one who came back and fell on his knees and praised King Jesus and gave him praise and thanksgiving and glory. The leper cried out in a loud voice, giving Jesus glory for who he was and what he had done. In the end, the church, you and me, we will cry out in one loud voice, giving Jesus glory for who he is and what he has done. And here's the best part. We don't have to wait. We can do that right now. We can cry out in one loud voice, united in Christ and praise and thanksgiving to the one true King. The leper fell on his knees in front of King Jesus standing in awe at his healing, standing in awe at his person. He couldn't help but fall to his knees and give Jesus praise. One day, every knee will bow as everybody from everywhere gives Jesus glory for not just who he is, not just what he had done, but who he is and what he has done. And they will praise him and they will give him glory. That's what I pray for you this week as we celebrate Thanksgiving. As you eat yummy turkey, stand in awe of King Jesus. As you read God's word and see the gospel on every page, stand in awe of King Jesus. I'm gonna go and pray for us. Father God, you are so good. You're gonna pray for me. Help me to stand in awe of you this week. God, I, I don't want to get so busy enjoying your good gifts that I allow myself to exclude you. God, forgive me for when I've done that and help me this week to stand in awe of not just what you've done, not just your gifts, but in your person. Help me to stand in awe of both what you give me and who you are. And God, allow that awe to lead me to a praise to a place of praise and thanksgiving. I pray that for this church, each and every man, woman, child, teenager in this room, God, fill them with awe. Fill them with awe what you've done. Fill them with awe in your blessings and what you've given them. And God, allow that awe to lead them to a place of praise and thanksgiving. God, God we praise you because you are good. We praise you because you are great. We praise you because of what you have done. Thank you, King Jesus, for loving us so much that you came down from heaven to live and love and die and rise so that we can have life with you, so that we can go to the throne with confidence. In Jesus' name, we all say, amen. Hey, I'm gonna go and invite the ministry team up here. If you need prayer, if you want to just stand in awe of King Jesus with somebody from our team, we would love to stand in awe with you. If you want to know more about this King Jesus, we would love to talk to, to you about him. 
Hey, I hope you have the best Thanksgiving. I hope it's filled with really good food and laughter and joy. I love you. We love you. Jesus loves you. Stand in awe of him this week. You're dismissed.